a historic day in Washington, D.C., outside of the Supreme Court, plus more on the pro-life movement all today, right here on the Friday edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Good morning. Justin Hall here with you alongside Mitch Prosser and Dave Wilson, who is on the ground in Washington, D.C. D.C. couldn't contain all of Palmetto family, so Dave landed as I departed uh, just a couple of hours ago, and Palmetto family has been on the ground in D.C. pretty much the entire week. So the big story this week, as we wrap up the week that was, is what happened in D.C. on Wednesday when the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the Dobbs case. And so, Dave, you and Mitch were on the ground in Columbia as this was happening. So before we get to on the ground in D.C., what impact could Dobbs being upheld by the court have on the state of South Carolina when it comes to pro-life legislation? Dobbs getting upheld by the courts in Washington, D.C., really will turn around and put the abortion question back where it began and where it was in 1972 and 1973. And that's in the hands of the states where it belongs. I got into D.C. on Wednesday night and went directly to a dinner where we actually heard from the attorney general and the solicitor general of Mississippi who had made the case in the Supreme Court just hours before. And they made it abundantly clear that this is not something that is in any way enumerated within the Constitution of the United States. As a matter of fact, it was an overreach of the Supreme Court in 1973 to find a way to use the 14th Amendment to, to make a way for an argument that has zero bearing and zero reference at all in the United States Constitution. Abortion is not there. And the Solicitor General from Mississippi actually went forward and said, listen, Roe should be overturned and you should give it back to the state. So what's that mean in South Carolina? In South Carolina, that means that the heartbeat bill that was signed back in February would no longer be enjoined. It would go directly into effect. And that would end almost 99% of all abortions in South Carolina and save over 5,200 lives in our state. If you just do it in comparison to last year's abortion statistics, And that's going to open up a wide door for what are we as a society going to do with those children, with the mothers, with the fathers, to be able to provide the support that they need? How can the big C church step in and and work on issues like adoption, foster care? How do we address what needs to be done in, in child care for children and the educational choices that parents need to have? All of the issues you hear us talking about here at Palmetto Family boil down to These are the core things that are going to be impacted and going to be part of our discussion after Roe. I totally agree, Dave. I think it's important for us to understand exactly what's happening at the Supreme Court right now, because this is this is groundbreaking. As we've talked about on previous podcasts, this is a generational kind of thing. I love what uh, Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh said yesterday, as we all listened to those oral arguments, uh, he said uh, something along the lines of, we have to get the court out of the mindset of legislating on abortion law. And I think that's such a telling statement coming from one of the nine Supreme Court justices that sit on that bench who totally understands. He, yes, he's new to the game. He's only been on the bench for about two and a half, three years now. But he understands that it's 
pivotal. It's vitally important for the Supreme Court to do its job, to make sure that they follow the Constitution. And the importance of, of this case, the Dobbs case, right here and right now is to establish constitutionality, dare I say reestablish constitutionality in regard to the rights of Americans, specifically the unborn. And to that point, Mitch, you've got a very good point there, because when Neil Gorsuch brought that up, it's a realization that we hear the term, you know, when the Supreme Court legalized abortion, a Supreme Court cannot legalize anything. They don't create law. There, there is nothing that got legalized because they did not legislate because they're not a legislative body. They are the judicial body, and the judicial body's responsibility in this is to then go back in and say, is this language of this law constitutional or not? And up until 1973, when uh, Harry Blackman turned around and wrote the Roe v. Wade decision, and basically, if you read through Roe versus Wade, it almost reads like legislation. It creates and establishes the trimester system. He had gone to the Mayo Clinic and had done research at the Mayo Clinic and brought back medical breakdowns about how pregnancy works and operates and puts it into a decision no different than what we would see as pieces of legislation that say, here's what a first trimester is. Here's a second trimester. Here's a third trimester. Nowhere in there was that part of the argument, but they created law from the bench. And that's what we are really hoping that the Dobbs case will do, and that's to throw that back onto the states for the state legislatures to make these decisions and make these choices and to show where their states are on these issues and make laws accordingly. There's a big argument right now that people are, well, that means that you know it's going to be unfair for people who are living in other states to be able to cross, they have to cross lines, and there's, there's a cost associated with that. Well, the reality is, we have different laws in different states for a reason because we have a federalist system of government. We are not a government that is sitting here at a national government. Our federalism is based upon the fact that we have 50 different states for a reason. So, Justin, uh, you didn't necessarily listen to oral arguments yesterday because you were on the ground. You were literally on the steps of the Supreme Court and we're so grateful that you were there, but you were also in another very significant meeting, uh, a meeting that has a huge impact on what's happening with children here in South Carolina. Tell us about that meeting, Justin. So I was on the ground, didn't get to hear the oral arguments as they happened. I've tried to go back and get bits and pieces of that as, as I flew back on Wednesday night and then again on on Thursday, so still trying to wrap my mind around what was was said and, and what happened in that courtroom on Wednesday. But yeah, at the rally from about 7.45 to about 9, 9.10, it was cold. Uh, so then we, we walk over to the Hart Building where Senator Tim Scott was hosting a roundtable with four other senators, uh, Senator Romney's, Senators Romney, Ernst, Collins, and Burr, along with Senator Scott, with leaders from across the country in child care and, and child care from from the secular side as well as the religious side uh religious schools christian schools and others 
trying to understand the impact of the build back better agenda and the build back better plan when it came to childcare, trying to figure out the ins and outs of that, what could be improved on the Senate side. So you had the rally with a, a pro-life wanting to stop abortion right to a child care summit, for lack of a better word, along with what we've been doing back here in the Palmetto State with the governor's task force on adoption and creating pathways to permanency. Dave, I think this is very obvious. The total circle of this new pro-life movement and kind of got to experience all of it wrapped in about a five-hour span yet on Wednesday. And that's the amazing part of this. And folks, as you're listening to this, understand this is what we're doing here at Palmetto Family. I mean, you think about the fact that we are talking about overturning Roe versus Wade, what needs to be done to protect religious exemptions for, for folks to be able to provide for child care, to talk about what needs to be done with the bill back, as, as Senator Tim Scott calls it, the bill back broker plan, and, uh, and, and what that would actually do. Because the issue that they were discussing, and Justin, you were in the room yesterday, but as I was talking with Senator Scott's staff last week, it is the concern that there is right now because federal dollars typically go through the state in a block grant. So it's like, here's a chunk of money. Y'all figure out how you're going to turn around and handle what you're going to do on childcare. They're wanting to take the, the middleman out of that and do that directly from the federal government down to the provider, which then means that the mandate for what needs to be done, for example, a church childcare center, which is currently getting you know, funding right now for childcare funds that may come through DSS, would then have to report to what's going on nationally and nationally can turn around and say, well, you're going to have to hire an LGBTQ person. You're going to have to meet these diversity quotas. You're going to have to have these inclusivity issues that are going to be taken care of. And now all of a sudden you've got a religious right of conscience that's going to be going on here. And because they're going to be countering what that church, that childcare facility has as its core beliefs. And that's part of what that discussion was yesterday. It was not only that, but there were a couple of other issues raised by Senator Scott. The median income in the United States is somewhere around thirty-four dollars to $38,000. Uh, that's the median income. Right now, under the, as Senator Scott says, the Build Back Broker Plan, which is something only he could say and, and the laugh <laughs> you mean you mean you mean other senators can't understand that one quite well, all that well? uh some senators in the room did not understand the grammar behind that but <laughs> there, that, was, that, was, that would be that, that bless their hearts they from around these parts yes, yeah, right. so so the With median all due income, respect right the median income is 34 to thirty-eight thousand dollars, depending the cost of sending a child to child care from the earliest possible moment to the age of five when they go into public school or however, be close to $30,000 and you only make 38. The math just doesn't shake out there. And you mentioned this too, Dave, this is, this goes to parental rights, which we're about to get to. But when you give money to these institutions and it comes straight from the federal government, that allows the federal government to then dictate what gets taught to these children. And Senator Romney actually made a very good point about this yesterday. When you're sending your child to daycare and they're two and three years old, you're not teaching them math. You're, re you're really not teaching them science. You're not teaching them history. 
we're teaching values at that age. We're teaching to, yes. we're teaching them to share that sharing is important, that everyone is, is to be treated equally and that you're supposed to be kind to everybody and all of these different issues. And parents want Christian values taught at an early age. The simple fact is if money is coming straight from the federal government to these institutions, that then allows the federal government to mandate what gets taught to your two and three-year-old when they're in daycare. And we all know what that's going to lead to. So what you're hearing, if you're listening right now and you're listening to Justin and Dave who are on the ground and, and a lot of stuff's happening in D.C. and in here in the legislature in South Carolina, it's important to understand that a lot of this has to do with the family. It has to do with the way you live, work, and raise that family. And at Palmetto Family, we believe in setting families up for success. Parental rights are a big deal right now. If you're listening to this and you can amen that, just say it out loud in the car as you're driving, it's okay. We believe that parents have rights in every stage of the game. We've already talked about uh, education very briefly. We've already talked about uh, medical rights that parents have uh, a little. Dave, talk to us a little bit more as a dad of 10 about parents' rights. It's real important, folks, to be able to know and recognize that you have a responsibility as a parent to make the decisions that you need to be making, whether that's your, the decisions about whether or not you're going to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. If you're going to be having your child homeschooled, public traditional school, public charter school, private school, that's your decision. That's your responsibility. It is not the responsibility of the government to make those decisions for you. Part of living in a constitutional republic, let's go back to that quote from Benjamin Franklin when the woman came up to him and asked him, do we have a, a, what kind of government do we have? Do we have a monarchy? He said, we have a republic if you can keep it. And part of keeping that republic is your involvement. It's your decisions. It is not relying upon somebody else to actually go in and make those decisions for you. This is part of stepping up. It's part of the God-given responsibilities that we have to do the things that God is calling us to do. And I think this is where we've got to start figuring out how do we translate that over to the next generation of folks who can begin to understand, because as Ronald Reagan said, you know, it doesn't pass down through the blood. It's got to be taught to the next generation. And Justin, you saw that yesterday here on the ground here in Washington, D.C. When we saw over a thousand people on the state, on the, uh, the steps of the Supreme Court yesterday, right? So I want to be very honest with people. There were two groups of people yesterday at, at outside of the Supreme Court, the the pro-life and the pro-abortion. There were two different rallies going on simultaneously beside each other. The demographic makeup of the two, the the pro-life group, the pro-life side, majority, uh, there, were, there were a wide range of ages, but the majority of those folks, I'd say 70% were under the age of 30. Under the That's age of amazing. That really other, is. On the other side – over 70% were over the age of 30 because you have two different diametrically opposed groups right now. You have one side that says, no, this ruling was wrong and the science actually has proved it out since 1973 and they got it wrong again in the Casey case. Then you have the other side that says, no, Roe was correct. Casey stamped its approval. Nothing you can say changes 
our minds. And again, I go back to this. When you have these two arguments, you typically have one that comes from logic and reasoning and consciousness and conscience. And you have the other side that is emotive. That's all it is, is just emotive. And, and that's what we saw yesterday on the ground. I didn't get a chance to post some of the videos. I believe we have one on Instagram and, and Facebook on our Palmetto family pages. I have a couple on my phone. Y'all, I, I'm going to just shoot straight for a second. I, I know we're short on time. The things I heard said yesterday from one side was bone chilling, blood curdling, and scary. The things and I you heard. Certainly, it, it's not things that you, we would ever, ever put on on any podcast that we would have no. because it's it's beyond R-rated. Yes. It's the yeah. NC-17 sort of stuff. And, yes, and is. this is where, this is where if you look at this, uh, you know, the, I saw a lot of placards yesterday as we're the pro-life generation. And we are seeing a massive change of attitude. As a matter of fact, uh, at, at a conference that I am at in Washington, D.C. right now, we just finished watching a video a few minutes ago. And we're going to provide a link to that from our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom that did interviews with college students on the ground, you know, man on the street kind of interviews to say, well, do you think that the abortion laws need to be revisited? Time and time and time again, when, when you took a look at a 15-week ultrasound from 1973 that looked like something that got shot out of the spaceship Enterprise on, on Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek versus one that you see today, which is a 4D model of a child, you're actually recognizing every single one of them like, oh, well, that's a, that's a person. You can't abort a person. And that's where we're beginning to see technology has helped us be able to have improvements in medicine, have been able to help us be able to see that this is real. Dave, I couldn't agree more. I think it's important for us to note that when we see what's happening on the ground in places like that, it's an Ephesians kind of moment, Ephesians 6 kind of moment. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against evil and wickedness in high places. But I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. He says, this is my church upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell all of hellish authority shall not prevail against her. And church, listen up. You will overcome through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow, what an awesome thing. There's a lot going on. There's a lot happening this week. There'll be more to come in the weeks ahead. That's why we want to keep you updated. Dave is coming back into town today. He's been there for the second half of this week. I was there in the first half of this week. Palmetto Family is on the ground where we need to be to represent you and promote biblical family values all across the country and certainly in the Palmetto State. For Dave Wilson, for Mitch Prosser, this is Justin Hall. We will talk to you on the Tuesday edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast.